Hi, I'm Ava, Elise's daughter. This week, telling new stories through Dungeons and Dragons. Plus, actor Shantae Adams on reimagining a league of their own. All right, let's start the show. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Andrea Gutierrez. And I'm Elise Hugh. Today, we're talking about a game. You've seen it on Stranger Things, which is fueling a whole new hype cycle for it. Vecna just decimated us. We can't kill him with two players. You two? He only has 15 hit points left. Or you've seen a trailer for the new movie based on it. We helped the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. So even if you haven't played it, you've heard of it. The game has been around for nearly 50 years. Dungeons and Dragons, or D&D. For those who haven't played, D&D kind of works like this. A group of players makes characters, and a dungeon master, or DM, takes them on an adventure. There are classic Lord of the Rings-style quests, but any story can be told through D&D. A dark fairy tale, a casino heist, a Regency-era comedy of manners. In all of them, the stakes are high. A roll of the dice decides the player's fate, and at its heart, it's spontaneous group storytelling. I love it. I love the idea of collaborative storytelling. I love the idea that this expands people's imaginations. You're not alone. D&D has had a bit of a boom in recent years. The game has seen record sales as more and more people are getting into the game, playing with friends and even strangers online. But there's another way that people are experiencing D&D. Consuming podcasts, YouTube videos, and Twitch recordings of other people playing the game. In D&D speak, this is called actual play. I think where actual plays are so attractive to people is they actually get to see what happens in a D&D game. It's not like a video game where you can see a trailer or get some sense of how it's played. Like seeing actual plays is like the first time you kind of get a demo of what it's like. That's Jasmine Buller. She's a frequent actual play DM or dungeon master and player. So is Persephone Valentine. To give you an idea of how much I love playing with Jasmine, I've been up since four in the morning working, and I still went and played. We just played <laughs> D&D for four hours last night. <laughs> Jasmine and Persephone both take part in an actual play called Shakar. And actual play is getting popular online. Two of the 10 most subscribed podcasts on Patreon are actual plays, and the highest earning Twitch account as of 2021 is a D&D channel. Wow. So D&D is having a moment because it's not just a game. It's collaborative storytelling. Andrea sat down with Jasmine and Persephone to talk about how the influx of players is changing the game itself. It's become a new medium for marginalized storytellers to tell different kinds of fantasy stories, which is awesome. Andrea takes it from here. D&D and other tabletop role-playing games or RPGs, they have exploded in popularity on the internet in recent years. And there seems to be a lot of interest coming from younger players. So according to the makers of D&D, 44% of players are under 30. And it seems like there are more women, trans people, queer people, Mm -hmm. more people of color in general coming to the tables. But going beyond the idea of basic representation at the table... How do the players' lived experiences change what kind of fantasy stories you're able to tell? Traditional fantasy, uh, like especially token-based fantasy, is very white, is very very cisgender, very heterosexual in nature. 
And one of the things I like to argue is that fantasy in large part is stagnant because it doesn't allow for the experiences of other people. Like you're getting the same sort of stories each and every time when it, the literal introduction of someone else's voice changes everything like that something that simple like even a story with the same framing can become completely different when a poc is writing it or a poc is involved like i like to think of like the revelation that nk jemison was um with her books in the fantasy scene and it's the same thing at a table allowing someone mm. to experience their culture or their background through the lens of fantasy through the lens of imagination um and what it could be what it could be differently it makes things that much more rich yeah. And as as far as why I think more young people are getting into it, D&D &D is more accessible now than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Because before, you had to find a group of people to play with and assemble in person with, and it was really hard to, like, connect with people over this hobby. Now, I mean, there's sites where you can... You, there's so many more ways to find a table to play with. Like, before, you had to, like, go into a game store and hope the people in there weren't mean. Mm. <laughs> Also, I think that people, especially in the sort of context of like queerness or being POC, mm -hmm. like these become very important spaces to find and protect and like keep close to your heart. I always think of fantasy as books and movies and TV shows, but what you're both known for is that actual play aspect of it. It's basically a whole new medium of experiencing fantasy storytelling. How have you seen that medium grow? Yeah, like if you have a Twitch channel and some friends, you can start an actual play. It does make it a lot more accessible than like traditional publishing because like you can just put it on the internet and do it as long as you have some friends and the ability to use your imagination to create. You can just do it. I think there's like less barrier to entry, you know? I've wanted to be a writer like in sci-fi fantasy since I was like six years old. And trying to get a book made is almost impossible. But I think one of the big reasons for the explosion of actual play is it's on a very indie level. Um, mm. When we first started Shakar, we didn't have any sponsorships. We didn't have anything. We just started. And then after that, the sponsorships kind of came in. And it's only now that I can like finally pay my cast. But mm. when we started, we just started because we wanted to play together. We wanted to tell a story. And it kind of scratches that itch for me of like writing. But I, I still get to tell my story to an audience specifically and get it out there but I don't have to go through the conventional means to do it. You know, D&D &D is not just for exploring dungeons, obviously. I mean, it's in the name, but it's also a way to explore identity through a character, mm -hmm. uh, through any of the characters that you play. How have you or your tables used D&D &D to do that kind of exploration? So um, I don't know if I would have transitioned as early as I did without stuff like D&D. &D. Um, oh, by the way, hi, I'm trans. Um, the first time I played a female character was in a tabletop game and it was sort of like a oh okay yeah i'm playing just what i wish i could have been at mm. some point in my life and um publicly one of the things that i did when i was on dimension 20 for the seven was i was i was like when i was talking to brennan dm i was like let's we both decided that brennan asked me if i wanted to play this character as trans and i was like yeah yeah, let's do that because it's. I feel like it's an important thing to tell. Not every character that I play is trans or mm -hmm. not every character I play necessarily has their gender journey be the like spotlight of something. But I was like, this is important to this character and something that needs to be present because like 
exploration through D&D and like one of the things when you make a character is you never fully lose yourself in it like it's never necessarily mm. just a creation of your mind like there's something there that is a part of you mm. and for a lot of us with gender stuff it can be the thing that leads you to realize like I am playing something that I could actually be in real life I am playing mm. something that I should be in real life and this is probably a more honest depiction of who I am than mm. who I have been in real life. I know a lot of people who have that sort of story with me. I'm sure you're both playing a bunch of characters right now, but is there mm. one character in particular that you've been playing recently who you're really excited about? I'm going to talk about Mariah because I played her last night. <laughs> so Mariah is my <laughs> character on Shakar. She is an Irish-accented big-bosomed merchant sorceress (laughs) who um, is on this adventure with this haphazard group of dudes. She also has two lesbian moms that are amazing. They are. This came up recently. (laughs) Really? Specifically the word Sefi said of strictly no <laughs> I'm so sorry, NPR. Yeah, so this I have to specify now because people have this penchant of trying to like hit on, you know, Mariah's moms and they are very Which, gay. I can't for blame each them. Other. They're hot. They are I, hot. I get it. Hot magic users. I understand. I'm wondering how you first got involved in Dungeons and Dragons. Like what hooked you about it? My first experience was actually really negative. Um <laughs> No. Can be, especially for femmes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't like it. You know, I was seeing someone who mentioned that they played D&D. And so I really mm-hmm. wanted to play. I got the Book of Vile Darkness. And I made this very ridiculous, uh, I think she's a plague mage. And I went in and... First of all, they were reticent to even let me play. Because it was a bunch of men. And me just being there made them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when I did, they killed me outright before I even got to do anything. Mm. Mm. And I got really mad, dumped the guy, flipped the table and left. <laughs> and didn't play again for many years. Like, because I was just like, this could have been a cool game. I enjoyed making my character. I like math and stuff like that. But I hate mm. these people. It sounds like uh, that sounds familiar to you as well, Sefi. I think everyone who's femme has some sort of story about like some sort of problematic section of tabletop. Oh yeah. But the thing is, is it's so much fun and so creative. And when you find the right groups of people, it becomes magical. I I'm reminded of when magic, the gathering first got big. I was in about the time I was in junior high. It's also magic. The gathering course is it's a tabletop card game uh, and shares some qualities, I think with Mm -hmm. D and D. And I remember, I have this like very specific memory of like a group of boys sitting on on the the sidewalk next to the the li- school library playing the game. And I was like, "What is this game?" I keep seeing these groups of boys playing. And I walked up to them. I was like, "What is that? Can I play?" And I just remember them like it was like all turned around like it's not for girls. Yeah. It was very similar to your experiences the first time that you played D and D too, right? Uh, even today, there's definitely been a singular idea of what D&D is and who it's for. Young white boys doing Tolkien role play, even though so many other kinds of people play. Is that idea still prevalent even as more people are getting into it? I think it's dying off. I think that's why we've seen this resurgence, because I think people that still hold those values are rapidly realizing they're not in the majority anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's why there's this like 
really nasty doubling down on it. People mm-hmm. love Gary Gygax because he made this game. But even when he made it, Gary Gygax said that the reason that a lot of women didn't play D&D was they wouldn't find it interesting. Mm-hmm. When you pair that with the fact that there's now women that are making money in it, it always turns mm-hmm. into, oh, well, the only reason you're playing it is because you're making money from it. I think Jasmine has the truth of it. People are doubling down on the past because they realize they're not in the majority anymore. Mm-hmm. They realize things are changing and they're realizing that most people want them to change. Mm-hmm. General fantasy representation hasn't always been the best. It's improving, mm-hmm. but like it definitely uh, leans towards one group of people. And now that that's changing, they're like, oh, well, why does it have to be like this? I don't see myself in it. It's like, that's what we've been dealing with this entire time because we're brown and black and queer mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know what? You can deal with watch. We've watched media where we're not represented for our entire Forever. lives. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Not everything has to be about you. Okay. And, and from enjoying stuff that mm. had no one that looked like me in it, I know yeah. that you that can, can watch. Yeah. You can watch yeah. what we are in and love it just as much too, you know? What excites you most about the work you're doing and the kinds of characters and worlds that you're creating? I have a world in my back pocket that I haven't run online that is based off of every aspect of my ancestry. And I am incredibly mixed. My dad comes from Dominique in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And like my mom's background is everything from like Slavic to Irish to Scottish. And I basically made this world where every country had some sort of influence from all sides of my ancestry. So like, I get really excited about that because I'm at the place where I'm like, I just have this colorful world that y'all can play in and it's going to be fun. Damn it. (laughs) Can I say damn it on a VR? I hope so. You can actually. (laughs) I think, how do I say this without sounding self-important? Like when... Do it. Live it. (laughs) Revel in your truth. There's an NPC, very first episode of Shikar, his name is Akash. And, uh... One of the first comments I saw when we uploaded it to YouTube was like, oh, that's my name. I've never seen my name in a and d mm. game before. And I teared up a little bit, you know, like wow. that meant a lot to me. Or like, like when I see other people get excited and do fan art and get inspired and say, I never would have thought we could have done this or that, like, you know, it makes it just fuels me. And I want to make more and more and more. All right. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again to Jasmine Bowler and Persephone Valentine. You can catch them on their actual play, Shikar. Coming up, actor Shantae Adams on reimagining a league of their own. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When you plan your celebration of life in advance, it becomes a gift from you to your family. Because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. With Dignity Memorial Providers, you can pre-plan every detail to give your family and yourself valuable peace of mind, knowing that everything will be taken care of with professionalism, compassion, and attention to detail that is second to none. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. 
You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Andrea Gutierrez. Elise, you watch a lot of movies, right? I do. Are there any unnamed or underdeveloped characters you can think of where you're like, ooh, I wish they could have done more with them? So in movies... My vote is for the two sidekicks to Peter in Office Space. Either Michael Bolton or Samir Naga Naga, not going to work here anymore. No one in this country can pronounce my name right. Well, at least your name isn't Michael Bolton. You know, there's nothing wrong with that name. Oh, yes. And that Michael Bolton character, definitely a classic one. I think about it, too. But there is one unnamed movie character who has stuck with me for 30 years, even though she has no lines. Okay. All she did was pick up a wayward baseball and throw it back. But she did it with such precision and power, it wowed onlookers. Yes, she was the one black woman who appeared in the movie A League of Their Own. The 1992 movie, which I loved, told the tale of women's professional baseball during World War II. It was a league that was unofficially segregated, and the black woman who throws the ball back was played by Delisa Chin Tyler, an uncredited background actor. But now, A League of Their Own has returned as a series on Amazon Prime Video. The show takes place in the same league with a focus on the same team, the Rockford Peaches, but with all new characters and storylines. And one of those characters expands on the premise of Chin Tyler's unnamed character from the film. We're here for the tryouts. Look, I don't think you understand. This is the... uh all-American league. You think you look like them? Well, actually, I think my form is a tad bit better, but we're from Rockford, Illinois, where we saw you putting one of the teams, the Peaches. That is Max Chapman, a young queer black woman in the Peaches' hometown who wants nothing more than to play baseball and to live life on her own terms. And playing Max is Shantae Adams. I talked to Shantae about what it's like to play a character inspired by some of history's pathfinding women and how she honored her own family's history and its telling. But first, I wanted to know how 1992's A League of Their Own affected her decision to take this role. When the audition came through to go in for it, I remember the movie and I remember not seeing any women that looked like me besides that one iconic scene that you just mentioned. But that actress didn't have any lines or we never followed her story. So I was kind of wondering where I would fit in mm-hmm. or if we were just, if they were going to make, you know, the, the 2022 version where <laughs> we're going to add in the diversity and, and stuff like that. And, and I wasn't really interested in doing something like that. So it wasn't until after I read the script and I realized that we were going to actually tell the stories of black women who played baseball at that time mm-hmm. and really expand on their struggles and all of the obstacles that they face being black and being a woman. And in Max's case, being queer as well. I knew I wanted to do something like that. Yeah. Max is, of course, based on, you know, somewhat loosely on women who played in the Negro Leagues at the time. Mm-hmm. We're talking Tony Stone, Mamie Johnson, Connie Morgan. In researching this role and preparing yourself for it, what moments from their histories have stuck with you? Um, Definitely, sometimes they were the only woman on their team. And mm-hmm. although it's a big feat to finally get this accomplishment of playing in the Negro Leagues, being the only woman on a team full of men. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, though, you know, I'm on a team with other black players, I'm also on the team with men. And so how mm-hmm. did that affect them and in what way? Uh, but also, I mean, the biggest thing that I was shocked or surprised by was that they existed at all. Because I had right. no idea who they were prior to um, becoming attached to this project and sitting down with them explaining to me that baseball for women expanded outside of just the All-American Girls League of what we saw in that movie. 
as a black person, I still know the history of Jackie Robinson. I still know names like Satchel Paige, but why aren't Tony Stone and Mamie Johnson and Connie Morgan just as big household names as those men? And so mm-hmm. that was the frustrating part about it of just like, it's all just because they're women and yeah. black at that. But mm-hmm. I was also incredibly excited because... What I want to do with my career is to be able to uncover untold stories of black women and to be a part of shedding light on those stories and bringing them to the forefront. And that is definitely what I feel like Max has allowed me to do. That's really beautiful. And I would imagine a little bit overwhelming. I've gotten a lot of messages these past two weeks from black women that tell me that my character has assisted in healing them in some way or letting me know that. They wish that they had a character on screen like Max growing up or just being excited that the little girls that can relate to Max, the black queer athletes have someone to look up to and have that representation on screen now. And so those are the best messages and um, definitely what motivates me to keep going. And yeah, it's just been really beautiful moments that have made me stop and take it all in. Mm, yeah. You know, something I, I keep thinking about with this show is that it makes a lot of the subtext from the movie text. I'm thinking yes. the queer stories that are they're yeah. actually kind of there on screen, but they don't ever get into it because it's 1992. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. The black woman who threw the ball back and kind of representing, you know, the black women who weren't there in the league. In this series, we get to explore stories from that era that were obscured. And Mm -hmm. it gives us a chance to think about those untold stories in our own families and our own Mm -hmm. histories. I read that you brought your uncle Edgar into this story into somewhat into kind of thinking about him or remembering him. Uh, Can you tell Mm -hmm. us how he fits into this celebration? So approaching this role as this black woman who of course is inspired by three women, it required me to do a lot of research and one of the first people that I go to when um, I am approaching a period piece is my own family. I have a very big family, so there's a lot of rich history there. Mm-hmm. And so through talking with my mother, I learned that my grandmother had a brother named Edgar mm-hmm. who was gay. And he was kind of estranged from the family. And he lived mm-hmm. in San Francisco in California. But that was like my mom's favorite uncle. And and so I never got to meet him. He died before I was born. But mm-hmm. just the fact that he was an out gay man during this era um, Mm. and he wasn't in contact with his family but I'm sure he lived a fabulous life in California so I'm sure he found his chosen family Um, I told this story to Will and Abby about my uncle the showrunners yes the showrunners and creators Um, and so as a way to honor my ancestor we decided to name Max's father Edgar they didn't even let me try out dad I'm so sorry, baby. Well, maybe we uh, throw the ball around tomorrow before work. What do you say? And so it was just a way to kind of bring him in the room and and to with every project that I do, it's important for me to keep my family and who I am at the center and just bring a little piece of Shantae to it. And so I was really Mm -hmm. grateful to Will and Abby for allowing me to do that and for, yeah, making my family feel seen in a way and also just honoring this uncle that I never got to meet, but I heard all Mm -hmm. of these fabulous, beautiful stories about. Oh my goodness. How did your family react to that? Like just seeing that there was a character that was honoring him. 
they're so excited and and that's not the only thing like my i have so many photos in the chapman household a lot of the photos that people will see are of my dad's side of the family too so i got to bring in both sides of my family and just the text and of like, wow, you know, we can't believe that Edgar's name was used or we saw granddad on the wall. Like, mm-hmm. it's such a really great feeling to have because they kind of feel like, you know, they're in the show, too. One of the things that's lovely about the show is not it's not just about the trauma that black and queer people experience, especially mm-hmm. in the 40s. It's also yeah. about showing joy and love yes. and friendship. I know people are mm-hmm. like really loving on Max and Clance. They're like adorable yes. friends. <laughs> what is one scene that you felt really captured that sense of joy? Definitely in the second to last episode when Max gets her really big moment on the mound finally against the screws. It kind of clicks to her that she finally did it and the whole audience is rushing towards her. But somehow, someway, Clance is faster than all of them. <laughs> and <laughs> she just like almost, Bemi, when we were shooting a scene, almost tackled me running so fast <laughs> towards me. Uh, but it was just such a beautiful moment to shoot as Max because she finally got that moment that she's been dreaming about. Um, mm. But I think it also just encapsulates that Max and Clance friendship and joy and how Clance is really her number one fan. And in that first episode, she says to her, you know, I love you more than anyone else in the world. And Max is like, Mm -hmm. I know. And it's true. And she said that right in front of her husband. She didn't care. But (laughs) the joy and the love that they share is really unmatched. I'm so honored to be a part of that duo. That's really special. So A theme of the show is finding your team. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a moment from your own Hollywood career where your team, where your people around you, like, lifted you up when you needed them? Oh, man. I remember there was a really weird period of my career where after I filmed my first movie, which was Roxanne, Roxanne, and Mm-hmm. between filming it and when it came out was two years. And oh so and in between those two years, I barely worked because mm-hmm. I had done this really big movie, but I was brand new. I was fresh on the scene. And so when my reps would approach mm-hmm. people and be like, she just did this big movie, like you need to cast her in the next big movie. And they're like, great, can we watch it? And they're like, well, no, because it's not out yet. Um, and so they're like, well, then we can't like put her in this. Like we can't cast her in this. And so there was like this mm-hmm. period where I was just... I really was ready to give up. I was just like, I don't think, you know, I feel maybe this was like my one shot. Maybe that was my one thing. Like, Mm -hmm. and who knows what will happen after the movie comes out. Um, But it was really my village and the people around me that kind of rallied behind me and Mm -hmm. was just like, you have to keep going. Because if you don't keep going, who are all the girls that like are so inspired by you right now? Who are they going to look up to? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, just remembering... Everything that mm-hmm. I do is not for me. It's for the people that come up after me and the people who have come before me. I can't give up because they didn't. I'm wondering if we can take it back a little bit more. When sure. did you know you wanted to act? Um, There are a few really specific moments. Some of them involved other people. But the one that kind of involves me where I was like, this makes me feel like nothing I've ever felt before was Mm. during um, my sophomore year of high school. We were doing a production of Rent. 
and I was playing Mimi and I was 15 years old. I didn't know anything about being a drug addict mm-hmm. or a stripper living with a deadly disease or, That's you a know. lot to take on as a high school student. I know right? it's a classic and- <laughs> play, a classic musical it really but at this point, <laughs> but that's a lot to take on. Um, and I think it was the first time that I emotionally connected or as the language I use is the first time I locked in to a character mm-hmm. and the emotion just kind of took over me as I was doing the lines and it was an out of body experience. I was just, I was singing goodbye love, which is towards the the end of the show. And mm-hmm. I was like in tears. I didn't know anything about being in love or saying goodbye to anyone. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. It's kind of an indescribable feeling. I'm rambling, but that was one of the main moments. What kind of roles do you want to take on next? Not a particular role. I'm a very when I know, I'll know type of person. Or when I read it, I'll know, I'll feel it. But yeah, I want to start exploring different Mm -hmm. worlds. And um, Black women can exist in all those worlds. In sci-fi and in horror. and, And so, yeah. That, that's what I want to do next. I just want to continue to expand on the path that I'm already set out on. Shante, thank you so much. This was so lovely talking to you. Thank you for the work you've been doing. It's been really great watching you on screen. Thank you. Thanks again to Shante Adams. She stars in A League of Their Own. The series is out now on Amazon Prime Video. Up next, a game of Who Said That with our friends Elsa Chang and Mia Venkat from NPR's All Things Considered. I'm Andrea Gutierrez, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Andrea Gutierrez, and I'm here with two esteemed guests and colleagues from a little radio show called All Things Considered. Can you each introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Elsa Chang. I'm one of the hosts. Uh, And I'm Mia Venkat, and I'm one of the producers. Elsa and Mia, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We are here to play a game called Who Said That? First of all, I should say... I have never been on this side of it. Usually I'm preparing it as a producer. I'm sure you can relate to that, Mia, as a producer being on <laughs> yeah. mic right now. I, I was like doing my research, doing my own prep packets last night. Getting ready for this. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Great. You should be ready to go. But here is how the game works. I'll share a quote you may have heard in the news this week and you guess who said it or what it is about. There are no buzzers. You just yell out the answer. You don't have to wait for anyone to prompt you. Just whenever you hear it, there are zero prizes. It is just bragging rights. (laughs) Are y'all ready? Worth it. Yes. I think so. (laughs) Here's the first quote. Hot day, hot song. The goats and I are feeling heated. Beyonce, loving this track. Hashtag goat songs. Hashtag renaissance. (laughs) Oh, my God. No idea. Wait, goats? Like, like, like the ones, like the creatures with the devil eyes? Like goats. The, the devil okay. is, yes, goats, the, 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 the animals. I'm assuming it's like a celebrity that's a huge fan of Beyonce. I know it's obviously about her new album. Yes. But is that right? Uh, yes. So okay. I'll give you a hint. Uh, he's in Footloose. Oh, Kevin Bacon? Kevin Bacon <laughs> also got that <laughs> one. Gen Xer. I was like, Beyonce came out with a new album, but Kevin Bacon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. So that is a tweet from actor Kevin Bacon. This week, he tweeted a short video of himself playing the Beyonce song Heated on acoustic guitar while sitting outdoors with three adorable and adoring goats. 
Got a lot of bands, got a little Chanel on me. I gotta fair myself off. I gotta fair myself off. I gotta cool it down. He has pet goats. Apparently so, yes. Oh, and funny. it was a very lovely, <laughs> loving rendition of the song. All right. Uh, Elsa won that one. So we're going to go on to the next quote. Uh, so this is a fill in the blank. Blank just told a DC audience she swam Lord. and soaked in... I'll finish it out. I didn't even hear her. (laughs) That was so quick. I'll finish. I'll finish out the quote. Blank just told the DC audience she swam and soaked in the Potomac River today, and the whole room booed her. (laughs) So Mia, Mia got that one. Mia, can you talk about who this was and what happened? Yeah. So Lord is performing in DC. I will say I have some insider intel from friends that were at the concert. They they said they didn't. (laughs) They said that they didn't boo her. It was more like a concerned groan. Like, oh, no, Lord. Not because <laughs> it's polluted. Because it's disgusting. <laughs> so, uh, so she yes. was like, I really want to get the feel for the city. And everyone was like, not like that. No. <laughs> like, no. Not in your orifices. Sorry. I just. All right. So that is, yes, Singer Lord. This is from a tweet by a user, Jesus is Supreme who was at a concert in D.C., at that same concert, I'd imagine, Mia, uh, at that concert in D.C. when Lord said on mic that she swam in the Potomac. Swimming in the Potomac was outlawed in 1932 because of the sheer volume of raw sewage. (laughs) Oh, my God! But the Potomac's actually been cleaned up and is safe to swim in about 80% of the time. (laughs) But, like, in different spots, right? Not throughout the river. I hope she chose wisely. Yeah, if she cancels her next performance on tour, we'll know why. Absolutely. All right, Mia got that one. So here's the final quote. This is a tiebreaker, all right? You guys ready? Oh, here we go. Here I'm we go. elbowing Mia, metaphorically right now. <laughs> Get out of my way. I mean, look at this thing. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. Um, it's the little boy fr- from the corn video. <laughs> the corn kid. The corn. I yes. like, it's corn. It's the most beautiful thing. I have no idea what Mia's talking about. What's the corn video? That is a quote from a child named Tariq, also known as the TikTok sensation Corn Kid. I really like corn. What do you like about corn? Ever since I was told that corn was real, it tasted good. Did you think corn wasn't real? But when I tried it with butter, everything changed. I love corn. And it's practically unavoidable if you've been near TikTok and a little bit on the edges of Twitter as well. Oh, my God. I literally just uploaded the TikTok app yesterday. Well, you are going to find Corn Kid on there. Earlier this month, Tariq was featured in the web series Recess Therapy with comedian Julian Shapiro Barnum. And he was talking all about his undying love of corn, or as he called it, corn. (laughs) All while eating a giant corn cob on camera. The video has understandably gone viral, even with a catchy song. It's like a, a guy at a fair or something interviewing him. And he's like, like, just, it's the most wonderful thing. And the whole interview is about corn. You know, the video, is it's been around for a few weeks. I feel like it's gotten, like, this critical mass in the last week or so. So definitely, definitely check it out. The I Corn will. Kid. All right. Mia got that, which means Woo-hoo! Mia wins the game. Mia, how Woo! are you feeling about that? Oh, I feel amazing. Thank you so much. It's so good to be out here uh, against my host, Elsa Chang. <laughs> Elsa, I hope this does not affect our working relationship. I'm going to try <laughs> not to let it affect our relationship, Mia. 
I love you, Mia. This was so I love fun. Y'all. <laughs> well, thank you so much to both of you. That was awesome. Thanks again to Elsa Chang and Mia Venkat, both of NPR's All Things Considered. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Andrea Gutierrez, Liam McBain, Janet Ujung Lee, and Jessica Mendoza. Our supervising editor is Jessica Placek. Our executive producer is Vera Lynn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grunman. Listeners, take good care of yourselves, and thank you for listening. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Andrea Gutierrez. Talk soon. <laughs>